Inside Westminster, chapter 185, in the footsteps of Odysseus. Even though there should have been some sort of celebration, as several momentous events had recently occurred, it was the anniversary of Potty's coming to power, and Hector had been safely delivered and was now a strong and squirming four-month-old. Mandy had agreed to postpone any unseemly, over-the-top form of showy holiday, which she would normally have expected. No, said Potty, late on Sunday, as he was due to be driven back from Chequers to his pokey Downing Street flat. I'm afraid it'll have to be a few days in Scotland. Pity we've got the pandemic on, otherwise I'm sure would have been welcome at Balmoral. And anyway, it'll be a way of saying we love the Union and don't want monkfish to tear it apart. Think it'll take more than a week's camping trip to convince that one, rebuked Mandy, but Potty simply chose to ignore that comment for the sake of not causing a heated discussion, which he had enough of every day of the working week. Anyway, Mandy had been expecting such news, so hadn't built her hopes up, and life at Chequers was pretty much one long holiday. True, the estate could do with a facelift if you had a spare few million, but given the circumstances, she couldn't complain. As her sister, Tara, kept reminding her, some people had all the luck, and Mandy certainly and Mandy had certainly been feeling she'd been shovelled more than her fair share lately. She'd even got quite used to living without a man being all that evident in her life, seeing Potty just for a brief 36 hours at weekends. It didn't seem to matter now that she had the other male in her life, Hector. And she had trusted to keep and she had trusted too to keep her company, though sometimes Potty insisted that she go back with him to London, as she had become quite a running partner with him on his daily trot round Pal- Buckingham Palace Gardens, the use of which had been granted by her Madge on one of their weekly get-togethers. Potty had been glad that he'd grasped the nettle of his Covid experience and the drastic weight loss he'd st- suffered early on. Rather than pile it all back on, Mandy had seriously got a grip of his waistline, and it had worked, and he never and he felt better, sleeker and sharper looking than he'd done for decades. Now he felt more like his, the other members of his family, who had been blessed with a feline sleekness, all except his sister Michelle, that is. But there was still a residual puff to his breathing. Apparently, that could be part of what had been called long Covid. Oh well, he'd sighed over the phone one evening. You can't have it always. And how are you, my love? After all, you had the dreaded C too. Oh, thanks for remembering. But also followed by a 24-hour labour, Mandy said with a cheery laugh. Anyway, how is the youngest TJ? quizzed Potty. Oh, being doted on by Ma and Pa and all the staff here, Mandy said. You know, the military girls here are fantastic. They not only do all the cleaning and catering, but will turn their hand to baby-minding too. And there's always at least four to choose from. Well, you need to thank one of our predecessors for setting that one up, replied Potty, just pleased that Mandy was being looked after and wasn't suffering because of his absence. I booked us into a rather nice Airbnb on one of the remotest stretches of coastline in Scotland, I'll take that tent you got me as a joke birthday present so we can always give the impression we're slumming it in that, 
Potty added, keen to get the prob- that problem out of the way. What about the security team? asked the ever-vigilant Mandy. Oh, they'll sort themselves out, I'm sure. They're all ex-soldiers, so they'll be happy to sleep under the stars in one of their state-of-the-art sleeping bags. Those Range Rovers are pretty big too, Potter replied, sounding almost knowledgeable. But Mandy had been too busy cooing over the beautiful bundle of joy, so responded with a curt, fine. He omitted to say they'd only be staying for a week, not for the usual full parliamentary recess, but, oh well, he thought, I'll cross that one when I have to. Benedict Morgan, on the other hand, was crossing all his bridges at once, holding hands with the even more Machiavellian Matthew Shrove. They decided to cash in on all the calamity ensuing from the government's mishandling of COVID-19 and blame those in Whitehall for as much of the pandemic, pandemic catastrophes as possible, thereby prizing out senior figures who would otherwise have been untouchable. Several heads had already fallen, but the latest scalp they were after was still firmly attached to the unsuspecting head of Sir Mortimer Fisher, head civil servant for the Department of Education. That'll do nicely, smirked Ben, as he crafted his latest no-brainer of an offer to Sir Mortimer. Resign with dignity, get your name on the honours list, and receive a very substantial payoff as you gracefully move on to a life filled with luxury golfing holidays, fine wine and good works with charities of your choice. Two top-ranking civil servants had got the chop recently, Sir Rupert Lester and Sir Arden Rudger, the former had gone quietly and was now half a million squid better off. The latter had unfortunately taken umbrage and was in the middle of an industrial tribunal, though Ben had chosen not to inquire about how that was going. Who's next on my hit list? Ben asked Shrove as their, Machia- as their Machiavellian plans unfolded. They were well on the way to getting the blob, a.k.a. the Department for Education, unclogged and Ben had congratulated himself for insisting that William Gaunt be kept as its Secretary of State. Ben knew there'd be an almighty cock-up over exam results and the promised September return of all schools, under cover of which he could flush out those senior figures on his list in that department at least. He and Matthew Shrove had drawn up a plan last year and had managed to implement much of it. Potty had turned into the useful clown on the side and really hadn't got much to do with the real nuts and bolts of running the country. Tony Hancock was also managing the systematic degunge of his department, which was full of inefficiencies and lackadaisical attitudes and was in the process of culling whole quangos and 500 strong government agencies. Public Health England had been given due warning that the chop was imminent and he was drilling down on who exactly was responsible for the PPE fiasco. A new fit-for-purpose organisation was being created. he decided that the world-class epithet had become rather jinxed, so avoided that description when he announced its formation, calling it instead a return to efficiency, which sounded nicely as though once upon a time it had indeed been efficient. He had in mind who he'd like to head up this huge department, someone who'd got bravery written all over her as she was a champion jump jockey in her spare time, one of the few females courageous enough to fling themselves over those towering obstacles and on a fiery beast to boot. And conveniently she was head of the track and trace set up already, but he would check with the PM when he returned from his short 
Holiday and, of course, Ben, before even asking the woman. Hancock had noticed that, once again, Potty was very obviously keeping his head below the parapet during the education nightmare. Indeed, he hadn't once made an announcement on the issue. Not once, he'd realised. Not sure what planet Potty's on, he said later to his wife over a well-deserved pre-dinner G&T. Who's on which planet? chipped in his ever-alert daughter Pandora. Cripes, Pandora, Hancock exclaimed. I didn't see you there. And never you mind about that. It's grown-ups talk. Well, I plan to be a politician one day, so the sooner you include me in conversations, the better, she articulated. Well, that's as it may be, but it's way past your bedtime, so off you go, and I'll come up to read you a bedtime story when you're ready, OK? replied her very patient father. Hancock continued, once Pandora was safely upstairs. It's quite embarrassing and very noticeable. What's that, my love? quizzed Hancock's wife. Well, the PM is seldom seen in public. Mandy's decamped to live in Chequers, not that I blame her, and with much of the office staff's move out of Downing Street, the place is like a ghost town. Well, that might be for the best, she said, adding, I mean, those stuffy offices and narrow corridors must be a Covid breeding ground. Didn't you get it from Corbyn's aide, Angus Miles, on one of his visits to Potty's Den? How do you know that? laughed Hancock. Oh, I have my spies, Clemmy joked. Really? Who? replied Hancock. No, silly. I read it in the post, she confirmed. Crispin Dunk really does seem to have his finger on the Westminster pulse. You know, Potty's half-brother has recently had a little girl, and Somerset is gloating. It's all over the socialite columns. Ah, such news, jested Hancock, adding, I've got more important things on my mind, like all these quarantines being slapped on people. We encouraged to travel. I think we'll be paying a price for that. Well, I know you, for one, are trying your best, said Clemmy, continuing, but not so sure about the PM. Honestly, he's always missing in action, and it's not a good look. Tell me about it, responded Hancock. Look, this is in the strictest confidence, but I think the party bigwigs are lining up a takeover sooner than Potty realises. His card's been marked by his performance during this dreadful pandemic. It's almost like one of those Greek tragedies he's always bashing on about. I know, agreed Clemmy, who, like the PM, had studied classics at Oxford. And, his, he, and he's become Odysseus, wandering, or rather blundering, across the ocean, clearly out of his depth and losing most of his men because of his blundering masculine ineptitude, euphemistically called courage. <laughs>